Welcome to Designers of Paradise, a podcast focused on people who are changing the ways in which we produce our food, care for our soil and water, and protect our climate. There's a steady flow of information now about the many ways in which agriculture is damaging our planet, disrupting natural ecosystems, polluting our air and water, and destroying the soil it depends on. But there's another set of stories to be told as well. These are the stories of the people dedicating their time and brilliance to reversing the impacts of our industrial food systems. From farmers and consumers to innovators and entrepreneurs, city planners and funders, an entire ecosystem of change makers is on the rise. Together, they're bringing in a next generation of agriculture, which is regenerating soils, food quality, local economies, and significantly, hope. Hope for a better, healthier, and more equitable future for all. These are the designers of paradise. These are people who see paradise as the natural condition of a world in balance, where our collective activity feeds the land and consciously works with nature to rebuild the abundance that supports all life, including our own. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. Please subscribe for Designers of Paradise at iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm speaking today with Melissa Rucknick in Vancouver, Canada. Um, and I, the spoiler is I've been talking to Melissa now for the last 15 minutes before hitting record. We just had this sort of like arbitrarily slice through the really exciting conversation already. And we'll try to bring you all up to speed on that. Um, I think you're really going to enjoy this session. Melissa is a communication specialist, and she describes herself as actively seeking to support people to affect change in whatever aspect of their personal or working world they may be working. Um, and Melissa, you can give us some more kind of fine detail on, on that. And we're just going to go and follow this wonderful trail that, um, that we've opened up. Welcome. Thank you, Eric. It's so exciting to be on this show. And, and you know, I, I love the title, Designers of, of Paradise, and everything that you've been doing as well. And uh, yes, our conversation's been, I, I'm very excited to share with people what, at least from my perspective, what, what's been going on in, in the world as far as communication and all that it links to and what we can do about it. So you said one of the things that you had mentioned um, when we were first in contact with each other was that you have been working on some, it sounded like fairly intense and, and deep stories around climate. Yes, yes. I, I took on a position uh, with a fellow here who own, uh, owns or owned a radio station. Uh, and he was actually had had been researching and, and doing his master's and then PhD around climate change and really was going after uh, what exactly, you know, we need to focus on with climate change and, and what are the issues around it? What are the issues around our own ability to understand it? Why are some people really in avoidance, it seems like, to to understand the concepts around climate change and also what we can do about it and what those different conversations have been. Um, so it was my job, you know, as the producer of that show and sometimes host to, to really dig into it with him. And so for a solid year, we're 
we went after all kinds of people like Catherine Hayhoe, Dr. Kevin Hayhoe, Jason Moore, people who are making incredible feats um, in the world of climate change and, and, and particularly in how they communicate about it. Uh, for instance, Catherine Hayhoe being a, a Christian person, you know, coming at it from a place where she was trying to really engage that community um, and try to get away from the conversation of evolution, but really look at the fact that we're sort of in this process, um, that there's no denying that our climate is actually really shifting and changing, that we're really struggling with it, that we're often losing populations because of it, that it's that climate's getting more severe, and what to do about that, and, and her ability to bridge um, into different aspects of that society is really, really important. And then Jason Moore, um, another really good example, you know, looking at the sociology of climate change and really bringing it back to the dynamics of business and big corporate, you know, the big corporate structure and kind of how we're going to deal with that. And like you said earlier in our conversation, like a lot of what we need is out there it's just kind of in different pods than we need it. You know, we need to sort of shift it around so that, it, that we can actually function properly with how we're going to work with climate change. And I like to call it, call it global weirding, you know, because it really feels that way. Um, you know, like what happened to me in Edmonton the other day when it was snowing and then the, the um, you know, the tornadoes in Ottawa and down in the States. I mean, there's just, you know, with the hurricanes just getting bigger and bigger and wilder and wilder, instead of being fearful about it, my side of it is really to help people understand how to communicate you know, around that internally. But as Catherine Hayhoe and Jason Moore do so well, they really communicate it externally incredibly well to help people get very, very specific tools um, to sort of walk through you know, how to work with what's happening. So a couple of things that, that makes me think of um well first i have to give you the picture that came up while you were talking and i don't know why <laughs> this image in my mind but it was like i open the front door and there's an iceberg on a lawn the size of the one that sunk the, the titanic so my instinct my, my immediate reaction is to slam the door shut right but i forget the fact that it's actually a screen door Right. So not only, not only is it is it uh, you know not an effective action in terms of preparing myself to take you know to take um, appropriate action, but it's not even really an effective delaying process <laughs> because of this green door. And, you know this thing is coming through, um, and it's an awful lot bigger than I am. So that's that's the image that popped into my mind for some reason. <laughs> but. Because this is a series that is, is you know, broadly dealing with, with regeneration, and because regeneration um, is not only uh, an essential set of actions for us to be taking, but a very hopeful set of actions, um, I, I want to kind of remind ourselves that one of the first um, elements necessary to take a, to develop a, an appropriate regenerative strategy is to actually identify the problem we want to change, right? So hiding, you know, hiding from the, you know, the reality or, or even just the, the data and, and the reporting around climate disruption 
isn't going to help us actually face this in the, in the most effective and, and we hope um, but when we say regenerative it's hope right it's it's hopeful it's this idea that we could actually move from something that is fending off uh, increased problems to, to create a situation where we can actually thrive again right um, so so there's there's an, there's an aspect all about that um, in this series, we've talked about regenerative practitioners. We've talked to people who are on the land. We've talked to people who work with different kinds of livestock in, in, in a way that's more earth friendly. We've talked to people who are working on the markets and the localization. We've talked to people in schools doing fantastic work. Um, what we haven't really developed as much and that I think you know, we're now in the process of, of starting to story is this question of who we are, who we are as individuals, who we are as a society, and who do we need to and want to become in response to this situation, which is probably the, the, the most intense that's ever faced our species. Absolutely, you know, and those are really important, that's really an important focus, and I'm really glad you brought that up because a lot of my research and, and when I finished my master's and, and, and had all this information as well as information like we were just laughing about, you know, with PhD side of it, is that is to apply that to people. And we were just chatting about, you know, leaving the academia side of it to be able to get out there and be able to do exactly what you're talking about. Because what I was seeing was that people were, um, you know, really wanting to affect change. They really, you know, people know, uh, they listen to the news and, and they hear that we've got big problems. Like up here in BC, the fact that our salmon populations are really struggling, it's, it's really an intense time. Um, and so people know now whether or not, how they're absorbing that is what's fascinating to me and where I come into this because you know, as you said, they're listening to the news and, and, and what I came up with and what will be on my website hopefully in the next year is these modules to help people walk through this process. But when they listen to the news, you know, they often are listening to it and as you know, it's in a reel. And they will often turn it on on a radio or listen to it very early in the morning before our synapse junctions really are capable of processing it in a way that is productive. Um, so too early in the morning, they're listening to it, oh, the negative side of news, which media tends, as you know, to be very negative over and over and over. So what I found out is that if people take control, it's like can, taking control over your technology and listen to the news, we're going to find out what's happening on the other side of the world now fairly quickly. Um, but, but taking a bit of control over that and listening to the news maybe a little bit later in the morning, knowing when you've heard one thing and not listening to it over and over so that we can process anything that's, that's you know, not easy to, to absorb um, in a way that will help us to be more proactive rather than send off all of those fear-based responses, um, which is where I see people not being able to get to what you're talking about, which is the understanding of where they need to go. So where they need to go personally, because they start doing what I call spinning, 
um, because they just, it's way too much information, A, often for them, and B, it's a lot of negative information, you know, they don't know what to do with it. So coming at, like when I was working with the Bureau of Land Management and the, what I found to be one of the worst and most devastating and long-term litigation situations in the United States, when I was doing my thesis work was around the wild horses down there and, and this ongoing battle they were having and, and really trying to implement what I'm talking about with them so that they could come to more resolution. And I think what you and I are talking about and we're talking about earlier is helping people to really come to that resolution internally so that they can be more proactive with whatever it is they need to be doing to affect change. Right, whether it's whether it's with their own, you know, whatever it is in their lives. And when we talk about climate change and when you talk about regeneration, I see this starting to happen, which is so exciting. Like I've heard on some of your shows, you know, whether they're talking about the latent seed production that's happening in these in these ranch lands in North America, you know, where they're starting to really incorporate permaculture practices and, 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 and inserting the microbiomes into the soil and stopping using herbicides and pesticides and all those things that aren't good for us. And all these positive things that are going on. I mean, we also need to be talking about that more. And, and, and unfortunately, I mean, if I could wave my magic wand, I'd have the media outlets all starting the morning with that kind of news because that's what we need to hear and not to be Pollyannish as we talked about, but to really give people something to hang on to while they're processing the difficult stuff, you know, or, or trying to close their screen door and having the iceberg, you know, flow into their living room. We want to give them like water wings, right? You can't. <laughs> well, yeah, that's actually, that, that brings up a, a, a couple interesting thoughts there too. Um, one is that you know I, what's happening in the United States right now, and, and with with um, you know the insan the political insanity and the divisiveness and the rise of, of sanctioned hatred, you know right. it, it's a scary time. It's a really really scary time, and this is not just the United States. Of course, we see it in the UK. We see it in other countries in Europe. We see it coming up in Australia and strengthening. And there's you know it, it in Brazil it, it's happening. Um, it, it just seems to be. And I believe it is actually, it's, it's, it's like a disease epidemic, but this particular dis-ease is as much a spiritual one as it is a physical one right now. Um, so, so, so this is all going on. Um, when people rightfully and appropriately stand up and say enough, you know, so I'm talking about movements like the resistance for instance, it's absolutely essential for ourselves, as well as for everybody else in community, that we have things that we want to do instead. Right? So, and, and we can look, you can look back, you know, if, if, if you want to do, do sort of a sociological slice through social change over, over the decades and probably the centuries, the ones which were effective were able to mobilize a change in thinking because they had that narrative where they didn't just say no, no, stop, stop. They said, instead of this, we choose that. And that's where the positivity comes in. And that's why it's really important that we start those, those days with the instead of. 
Right. 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 I, 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 would talk, I was talking to um, Daniel Christian Wall uh, earlier, I guess it was last week. We did, a, we did an interview, and he was speaking um, about a woman named May East, who is uh, one of the founders of the, the, the um, Gaia University, the Eco Village Network. And she was talking about her daily practice. And, and she said, you know, before I do anything in the morning, I finish my meditation, and I ask myself, like, what is the place I want to put my energy today? Where can I deliver the most... Yeah, you know, the most positive change today. What what is calling me to support it? And right. so it's really important. And then yesterday I was speaking with um, Rob Hopkins from the Transition Town uh, Network and um, a new project now, which is which is all focused on the, the what he calls the imagination deficit. And uh, you know, a couple of the things that, that he mentioned, I think really kind of cross over to this conversation. He talked about the fact that we're in a pre-traumatic stress disorder. So exactly. we're, we're constantly preparing ourselves for the next shoe drop, you know? Right. But it's, it's like it's a millipede. It's not, right. you know, how many shoes are gonna drop? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny you say that because it's like, you know, I always envision having being raised by a scientist, you know, who was, you know, it took us all over the world in Venezuela and is that, and, and, you know, constantly being reminded of what we were like as cave people. It's like, we're constantly um, thinking that that cave line is going to devour us. And it's, so it sends off that fight or flight and whether it's somebody cutting us off in traffic or, you know, whatever is happening. And so we're on this constant in this place right now exactly where we're where our adrenaline is so high that there's no way unless we slow it down you know and you mentioned meditation funnily because you know exactly that's how i begin my day and and it's a practice um to slow my left brain down to create a space for myself to really acknowledge what it is i want to be doing that day that was a really important thing that you said. And, and when I was coaching people, you know, that was part of their process is they had to meditate some form of meditation to slow all that down, to actually start looking at, you know, to, to create that space in their brain. I mean, with, with neuroplasticity and all the stuff that we know right now of how our brains work and the fact that we know we can change it. We know we can change our internal dialogue, you know, to be more positive. And then we can actually start doing these things. When people would get to me, you know, they were in that spinning mode often. And, you know, they might be seeing a therapist or, you know, and, and but they were like, I don't know how to do any of this. I've got this job and I'm busy and I can't even breathe. Like, how am I going to start taking care of the world or figuring out, like you said, how to fix that screen or what to do about that iceberg that's melting, you know, or, or the sea level rise or all these things we're hearing about. And so, you know, really it's just that breathing, you know, and, and when people get really good at it and, and not to make this sound simplistic, but when they really do, you know, even in the most, difficult moments, like when I'm in really divisive situations, you know, and, and watching whether I'm mediating it or, or whatever is happening is to be able to do it in the moment. And that's when the magic happens when people are in their work day, and they practice some of this stuff, so that they can actually catch themselves and be like, I'm not breathing. Like, 
and just breathe and be able to bring into the moment that serenity and peace. And then they will make decisions, you know, that, that support them a lot better. Exactly, exactly. And that's it. It's interesting you kind of came around to the physiological end of that because the other thing that Rob and I were talking about was the part of the brain called the hippocampus. Yep, very and, important. And the effect that stress has on rising cortisol levels and the effect cortisol has on actually shrinking the hippocampus, yeah. which is responsible in large part for our ability to use our imagination. Yes. Yeah. And project into the future. Yeah. Well, you know the old adage that, you know, and I always laugh with people because I said, don't be, don't be, you know, don't think that if I'm not physically moving, you know, quickly, that there's not a lot going on inside and vice versa, because when people, and it's, it's really interesting with the hippocampus and what's happening physiologically in our anatomy and what we do now know um, is that yes, when we slow down uh, and we start to change those cortisol levels and what's happening with our fight or flight and that's starting to ease, uh, our ability to process and to work more efficiently and more quickly is incredible. You know, it's just, it's like probably 60% more during our day. You know, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know if that's an exact uh, measurement, but you know, we know that when we're when we practice these calming, whether it's singing, listen, you know, a lot of my, the people I've worked with, they're like, I can't sit, I can't sit in a seated meditation like you do for half an hour, twice a day. So I'm, I, you know, I'm really clear with people. Look, meditation can be people working with their hands as long as you're calming your left brain and you're sort of going to a place of serenity, whether you're singing. Um, playing a musical instrument, you know, you're calming the, those cortisol levels, you're calming that fight or flight, and that's what's going to open it up. So try it for people not to be so restrictive with themselves about it. I sing, I do a lot of chanting, uh, Vedic chanting, I, um, you know, it helps with all of that. And, mm -hmm. and so for people to know that there's a big plethora of, of, uh, different ways where they can calm their minds and lower those cortisol levels, like you said, and be able to absorb the world more on their terms. You know, a lot of it for me is, is to help people understand how to control their technology. I mean, I'm a bit of a techno nerd, but I really have control over it. So I'm not in bed at, you know, nine or 10 o'clock at night, you know, on my technology, it needs to be shut down, for instance, like we know this from our scientific research, you know, two hours before we go to sleep, we need to start that process of getting away from our technology and starting to allow ourselves because so much of my research has shown that there are two very important things for people right now. They need more sleep or at least restful sleep um, to be able to handle the things we're talking about um, successfully and well. And they also need to decrease their, their stress levels. And, and so it's really, how do we do that? And how do each one of us, you know, how do we get out there and help people accomplish that? So let's, let's segue from that um, back to your more, I don't know if you have an everyday world. Um, <laughs> I don't know if many of us do anymore. <laughs> Um, but I'm looking at your website, uh, Communication for the Brave, 
And um, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how you take the things that, that you've been explaining and describing um, and make them available in your work with others and uh, how you seek to have, uh, you know, increased and, and more effective impact with that. Right. Well, thank you for that question. It's a, it is always evolving with me. Um, I, you know, whether I'm giving a talk at a university or up and down the coast, um, talking to people about effective communication, I write a lot about it. I help other people to write uh, um, and be more effective. I've coached in the past. I don't really even like that word, but I mentor people um, with communication practices and how they're speaking to others, whether it's in their own private world or, um, or in you know, a corporate, like a more business setting. Um, you know, all of this started, as you know, because I was involved in the film industry, I still do make documentary films and, um, and really stepped away from that uh, a little bit to be able to implement some of this research and, and my work um, more deeply with people. And that's why I've started this process of working uh, with communication in, in these ways. Yeah, well, I mean, we, we, we were talking about a project that you said tantalizing was huge, but you couldn't say much about it yet. Yeah, we're, I'm really on the cusp. I, I stepped away from all the work with the climate change uh, side of it for a while to really move further into how I was going to help. I, was, I really wanted to help people more deeply with how they were going to integrate and do exactly what you're talking about, uh, understand who they need to be in order to bring about the change that they want. And, and so this project, no, I can't talk about it much yet, uh, but it's very exciting. And um, it has really far reaching tendrils. Um, there will be a nonprofit spinoff that we are almost more excited about, but it's just, a, it, and a lot of young people that are already stepping up to the plate for it. Um, and really wanting to affect change um, because they know, they know these, these young people in their 20s, especially, it's fascinating to me. They're, you know, they have dealt with a lot of them, um, you know, they're really aware and they understand that a lot's going on that's infecting them physically and spiritually. Um, and they want to, they're really hungry for this kind of information and to be able to help other people, you know, at any age to be able to um, create more serenity internally. And that's really what this project is all about is, is helping people to get there through my specific background and, and you know, trying to bring um, this research into a place for them that is really fun, but it also is, um, it will integrate into their very core uh, for them to take and fly with. And, and, and it's been a real thing of mine for a long time, you know, for people to be able to take information um, and be able to utilize it for themselves and not feel like they have to keep going back to the same person or be attached to a specific workshop, but to really give them tools that, um, will help them in these areas. So it's been, it's been a long time coming, this project, and, 
and uh, and I'm really excited about it, how it's coming to fruition. It wasn't something that I would have even dreamed of 10 years ago, um, how it's manifesting itself. And, and it really does have sort of an energy to itself. The people who are finding me and, and um, are excited about it are, it's just, it's going to be really great. So if people are tantalized enough to want to follow them, <laughs> where will you be posting updates when you're ready? Right, right. Well, I will be talking about it on the website eventually on, on Com the Brave, you know, C-O-M-M, -M, the number four, and thebrave.com. And also, um, I have a Facebook page called Travels with Misha, with M-I-S-H-A, which is, you can find me on there, you can follow it. Um, it's really my foray into this whole world, and I update people there. I talk about um, the project a little bit and, and will more as we get it going. And, and um, yeah, those are the two areas where it would be best to keep updated with it. Okay, so we'll put those links in when we publish this. Um, but if you're listening and you want to go over there right now, Facebook page, Travels with Misha, M-I-S-H-A, or Calm number four, The Brave, for the website. We're going to take a break now. So stay tuned, we'll be right back. Designers of Paradise is made possible in part by Mind and Media. Over the last quarter century, the writers, producers, storytellers, and media specialists at Mind and Media have spearheaded a multitude of engaging and complex communication campaigns. Mind and Media is a proud supporter of the work being done by the wonderful and passionate people of Rasa who are engaged in the creation of a regenerative future for generations to come. Find out more about Mind and Media at mindandmedia.com. That's M-I-N-D-A-N-D-M-E-D-I-A dot com. And now, back to Designers of Paradise and host Eric Van Lennon. Welcome back to Designers of Paradise. So let's get back into that. My passion to, to really help people passionately to move into this period of time. You know, a lot of the elders, the, um, the indigenous people that I work around, um, you know, whether it's down in the Amazon or in South Africa, you know, that have shared with me and, and always told me for years now, for 30 years, they've been saying, you know, we're going to be coming into this time of what they call turning. Um, and that it's going to be very challenging um, environmentally, sociologically, all of this is going to be difficult. And they told me that things were going to start to erupt in many different ways years ago. And, and really, that's kind of how I see this. And you brought up, Eric, you know, what's going on politically. And I just want to address that a little bit, because a lot of what I study and try to help people understand is how we say things to ourselves, but also to other people is so impactful and powerful. And, and one of the things that came out like with what happened in the US politically is that people were horrified. Um, they're continuing to be, you know, obviously for many reasons, there's very serious things going on. But I, I also look at it in the way that, you know, what these elders had told me years ago, which is that we, we have sort of these postules of, of pus in our world, you know, of how we've created our world that sometimes we really, you know, need to see. And, and it's not comfortable. 
and 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 but it's bringing things to the surface that we really have to deal with we really have to look at and um, this is a very deep form of understanding of the world and i realize that but it's it's through that i believe by understanding that and then starting to deal with these different issues you know we'll be able to walk through it as you said collectively and in a way that is really positive rather than moving backwards like you know human beings have often done in the past i don't think we have time to do that anymore and i think we're being asked to move ahead very efficiently and effectively and collaboratively like you we're doing um and and we're trying to help people to do so that we can we can create a world that no longer keeps stepping backwards, um, you know, and, and sort of mulling over things for too long, but moving in that positive direction really quickly. So it's a, it's a, it's a great time of lancing boils. Yeah, exactly. If we can kind of, I like giving people those visualizations that might kind of like freak them out, but if they can kind of see it as like, we've lanced this huge boil, like be proud of that. Like it is like, it is there. It's not fun and it smells nasty. And you know, but we're gonna, and we're gonna put our gum boots on together and we're gonna you know, like hold hands and walk through this and we're gonna figure out what to do with it so that we can, you know, we can cure it. We can get it, you know, into a better place so we don't keep having those boils coming up in our societies. I think it was D. Hawk who said, um, it's far too late for pessimism. <laughs> right, it is far too late for pessimism. And, and, and so it's that balance between Pollyanna-ish stuff. And, and, you know, so we're bringing the real truths, what I like saying, the truths to people, you know, because we have all these untruths, you know, and it, both sociologically and also personally. And, you know, that we've been taught, they're just out there. They float around, all of this stuff. And so understanding what the real truths are for ourselves, but also for the world, and then really moving together forward to create this world of, of not only of, you know, equanimity amongst people, but also, you know, of peace and, and blissfulness and, and in a really strange way and in a wonderful way, you know, that's why I love that the kids are bringing back the 60s, you know, they're trying to bring back some of it because they really know that part of that um, meant that there were going to be different answers, right? There were going to be different answers that they didn't, I mean, wh who was it that said like, you know, the whole, um, the quote about the, what insanity is, is thinking the same thing or doing the same thing over and over and over. And um, I think it was Einstein and, yeah. And, and it's true. And yet we do that as humanity, you know, and that's why people, you know, there's this murmuring, what I like to call a murmuring with people, you know, these voices of truth inside them. And they know you stop somebody and ask them, you know, do you really do you what bothers you the most about what's happening in the world right now? People know, they all know, you know, that, that, that what's going on and, and that we have, uh, I mean, some of the, I mean, the tribal people I work with know, you know, this stuff resonates right through the Amazon rainforest into these cultures that, you know, didn't even have human contact 30 years ago. Um, so we're in a place of, yeah, this big turning and we just, yeah, we do need to be there together. 
and and be able to walk through it and 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 in a way that's not frantic you know the frantic thing like you said with the cortisol levels and the fight or flight that that's not going to get us anywhere productive you, you you mentioned now a couple of times about your work with traditional societies and indigenous peoples could you go into that maybe a bit further yeah, I mean, people are people are funny. My father was a consummate storyteller. He was an amazing uh, professor and scientist, and I was raised around a lot of indigenous people at a very young age. You know, from the Amazon rainforest in southern Venezuela to you know the um, people in uh, Australia to the Maasai um, in Kenya, and uh, so a lot of my um, cultural background is really different because even though I portray as this white woman, I am physically, but I have all this upbringing that is very much based in indigenous culture. So when I'm working in North America, I bring that texture to everything I do. And there's a huge amount of wisdom that, uh, that was gleaned at an early age. And, and, and I was fascinated by the fact that these ancient people, I mean, the people in Australia, the indigenous people there are the most ancient people we know other than what came out of Africa, if you believe in that aspect of evolution. So um, they have wisdom and, and what has fascinated me over and over again is sometimes even when they're completely cut off from Western society, uh, they know things. And you know whether it's botanicals for healing, but also culturally, you know this whole idea of the time of turning, that's something that they've been talking about for like thousands of years. The the Mayans were talking about it, you know, and 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 the fact that our culture would reach this time, if people believe in that, where we were gonna, I think we've come to that point a number of times. But the indigenous side of it is very important to me because they hold certain truths and, and wisdom that is, is they're still listening to that depth of knowledge and of, of cultural wisdom and the storytelling. You mentioned the storytelling, you know, that a lot of our cultures, whether they're from Scotland or wherever they're from, you know, we've, we've often lost a lot of that capability and so they remind me of that and and so through our films we're always talking to shamans and medicine people whether we're talking about a creature that you know may have existed much later than we realized like there was this shaman i never know exactly how old they are which is hysterical they're usually around a hundred um but they're very old and we're often looking talking through interpreters um, but for instance, when we were doing The Real Lost World, which is going to be out on Netflix sometime in the next few months that people can watch it. But, you know, we were talking to this shaman about the fact that they said that the last pterodactyl actually died 50 years ago. And we were fascinated by that. Because when you're down in the Amazon, you, you know, when you're down there traipsing around where probably most people, no one's ever gone, a lot of these areas, I mean, it's possible. Um, there's a lot of, my dad got very upset when a, a fellow wrote a book called The End of Science before he passed away because he said there is not, there never will be 
an end of what we need to learn. You know, there's always going to be new things that we need to learn. So the indigenous cultures have always been an aspect of, of, of where I've learned, whether it's the medicine people, the shamans, or the monks that I also work with um, that have helped me interpret some of the more, you know, the, the communication-based aspects of what I'm trying to teach. Thanks for that. Um, <laughs> I mean, many, many people who I've read or spoken to um, talk about this time it is i think joanna macy also talks about the great turning you know this is a large part of her work um but they also talk about uh, a time when people will truly become indigenous again to where they live and this is not in the sense of a cultural appropriation you know this is not right, in the sense right. of a bunch of white people putting on you know headdresses and and and, and you know thinking they can somehow be native American. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, this, 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 this is in the sense of truly finding a place you belong to and taking care of that place. Yes. And yes. if there's anything that, that kind of the regenerative movement and the response to the crisis of climate chaos uh, can positively bring about for ourselves and our community and our cultures and our society and all the different levels at which these kind of identities and and um, presumptions of appropriate action are nested, right? There's a personal action, but then there's a social level action. There's like, you know, what do we need to do as a culture? What do we have to do as a society? So they nest in a certain sense, one within the other. Um, if there's anything, you know, really, really positive and constructive in enabling us to move forward into a future where we can actually start to become our real potential as a keystone species on this planet, on this living planet, it will come, I'm convinced it will come about through our re-indigenization to place. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the emotional and the spiritual and the technical investment in taking care of where we make our stand. You know, this is actually, this is that moment in, in I think, in our species timeline where we have to do that again. Right. I think that concept of re and, you know, of becoming indigenous in our own, in our own sense of understanding not only I work with some people with and I'm sure you're aware of the ancestral work that's been going on with ancestral trauma and um, but understanding the other side of it and knowing too that what we carry in ourselves not only can be changed right from, from the ancestral trauma side of things that we now know we can but also that there's these beautiful aspects of our culture and getting whatever that culture is um, both genetically and also, you know, sociologically, like with me, um, you know, and being very careful too at, at, at looking at somebody and not judging them for what you see immediately. I think that's a very important aspect of people understanding where they're heading in this next period of time um, and really being curious and, and asking people about their um, background and, and what it is that they're trying to be a part of and why. I think there's a very big difference between someone, like you said, putting on some headdress or acting some way, because that's 
obviously inappropriate and uh, but all, but then there's people who have need to get in touch with the aspects of themselves that they were raised in or where their grandparents came from. And, you know, like I have a friend that just went back to Scotland. She's never been there um, and England and, and really getting a sense of her history and, and, you know, what our species has been through. I mean, we've been through... I mean, when I watched Braveheart, it was, you know, when I watch movies like that, I mean, I have serious DNA from that period of time. We know exactly where our family was during those wars and, and, and fighting, you know, with each other and, and alongside each other. And so understanding that, you know, in a way it's almost to me like a responsibility right now of everything all our ancestors ever really fought for and, and died for and yearned for and, you know, that we're now sort of accumulating into a time where we can, I think they gave us gifts that, that we are now processing, like you said, in a different way to go into this different time, whether we talk about it as a time of turning or re-indigitification of ourselves, um, you know, and understanding our, our world. It's a, they created a platform, they gave their lives there often for us, I think now, um, each generation to be in a place of hopefully um, a better place and a place where we can, you know, we can work more harmoniously together. I mean, there have been little epics of time in the, you know, the existence of human beings on this planet that we know of where we've worked very harmoniously. Um, just interesting to me. I mean, one of the things that pops up in my mind that I can share is that, you know, when I was researching with some of the, the indigenous cultures and talking to them, and I remember sitting right across from a monk that I was working with and who spoke English quite well. Um, Pema Chodron has really helped us with this because, you know, she really has been able to um, interpret a lot of, uh, of, of, of the Tibetan Buddhist type of philosophies into English. Um, for us, but I was asking him about um, sort of this concept around around where we were heading and 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 where we were going and and the idea of expectations and why that gets in the way of human beings uh, because of course in you know in the Buddhist practice expectation I I didn't understand what it meant exactly and he explained to me you know it doesn't mean that we don't have um, that we don't have the ability to uh, hope for the future and to be looking forward to something in the future, but rather not to create a platform for ourselves either that is setting up exactly how we think it's going to be and then moving towards that because it usually won't happen that way. And then we get disappointed. So from a societal standpoint and what you and I've been talking about that's so important because we don't know what's going to happen exactly, right? We don't know exactly how we're going to deal with this whole climate changing and the political situations we're dealing with. And it, it's okay, you know, but we can be hopeful and working towards, you know, the hope that we will be moving in a direction that is, is more positive and collaborative. And, but I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with the fact that our connection to our 
own deep culture of whatever that is in the past or whatever cultures we're drawn to is going to really help us bridge this time. It's, and how, it's, it's kind of like that dual connection is a connection to our, our own most, you know, inner, uh, yeah, cultural memory, cultural self and, 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 and that can be reflected in terms of, you know, for those skeptics that get uncomfortable thinking <laughs> in that way, you can look at, at the science, which is now coming much closer to understanding epigenetics. That's right. Right? Yeah. So how experiences um, can flip switches in a, in a genome and those actually become passed down then through the generations subsequent. So that's, you know, that corroborates what has been otherwise put much more metaphorically and poetically. And now we can see that, you know, chemically, it actually resonates. So that's, right. but I think the other thing that's really important is that connection to land. You know, and, and so much about, about Western consumerists, particularly society, is all about having that sense of freedom to just pick up and go somewhere else and kind of, kind of skip across the surface of experience. And what we're talking about in terms of the imperative for being able to, you know, capture the, um, capture the process of degeneration which which is now happening in our world and turn that in a positive direction again absolutely requires a sense of place right and you, i and i love that say, like find your place and stand your ground but also this is about falling back in love with the planet falling back in love with you just flipped out there uh falling back in love with the planet Yes, yes. You know, I, I, I always have loved um, my father being a geologist, uh, a doctor of geology, and you know, a lot of his friends were astronauts. And, um, and uh, seeing those pictures of this beautiful orb, you know, that we live on, and it has been something that's been in my mind since a childhood. And falling back in love with our planet, but also back in love with ourselves. And, and, you know, this is something, you know, where I'll dive into this a little bit, you know, where it comes to the internal communication part, because people, you know, there's, they throw a lot, we all throw around a lot of phrases like, you know, be good to yourself, be gentle with yourself. It's important to be in love with yourself. Probably the hardest thing in the world uh, for at least more Western raised uh, children. Uh, some indigenous cultures have no idea what I'm talking about, by the way, when I talk about this, um, when I ask them if they have self-esteem issues, they don't understand because they're not taught, you know, that they shouldn't feel really good about themselves and love themselves. And I believe that's where this all stems from is that if we can't really be gentle with ourselves and be able to really feel what it is that is in our hearts and our passionate lives, it's very difficult to try to, to, try to grapple with, <clears throat> you know, everything else that's happening on the planet and in such a fast pace right now. So being able to do things that will ease ourselves and, and nurture our beings and, and connect ourselves, like you said, Eric, to our roots, whatever those are, um, and give ourselves that sense of place, whatever that means. Because remember, for thousands and thousands of years, we were all nomadic. 
we moved from one place to another to try to get food, to get away from predators. Um, and it's really been quite recently in our human history that we've been able, you know, post, um, you know, uh, agriculture to start to stay in, in, in one place. And I think that we now are able to, you know, maybe do that a bit more, but now that we're, we're, we're looking at that and being able to, um, you know, how are we going to do that? How are we going to do that in a way that will feed that, that need to move or change when, especially when we become fearful? Um, it's a pattern that a lot of us have, you know, as soon as we start to get fearful of something, we want to leave a relationship, we want to move our home, we want to change jobs. But instead, you know, as the, a lot of different cultures try to advise us, you know, it's important to stay in that, um, in that place of uncertainty for a while sometimes and, and really sit in our discomfort. And, and understand where we need to move to. So I think the sense of place and whether it's an internal thing, and I have this conversation quite a bit with people who ask me, do you think we really do need to like stay physically in one place or can we carry that? Well, I think it's both, you know, I think depending on what's happening with our lives, I think if we get really good at where we are internally um, and create that sense of, peace and place inside of which which is never going to be perfect but it's you know it's feeling good then you know i know people that can move around and and create what they need to um you know a lot of the people you'll see right now who are trying to um, move around the planet and and teach and and help people with different tools around all of this you know they're not at home that often um, you know, they've really taken a, a vow almost to be able to get whatever tools out that they're trying to teach by not, you know, by traveling. And so the sense of place, it seems to me that you're talking about is much more like what we carry inside. And so that, you know, and I was, ta I was doing, I was using it as a metaphor with somebody the other day that was feeling very um, displaced. And I was telling him the story about how Tibetan monks carry this little pack on their, you know, on their, in, on their belt, you know, uh, and it's just like this little leather pack of, you know, like a little Buddha and the little things that they have and off they go on their, you know, their Yama out for hundreds and hundreds of miles. Like, it really doesn't have to do with what we own. And, and, and this gets to the whole thing about people and consumerism, you know, the less we have, the more we really feel that sense of place. And, and, and I think more people, the more people that understand that and can try to not, you know, um, you know, fill themselves with things, but rather with that sense of place you're talking about and, and, and feed themselves, you know, the better communicators we're going to be, the better motivators for other people, but also the better collaborative workers with each other and where, whatever it is we're working on. So we're pretty much at the hour now. Are there, I mean, this is a conversation, I think we've touched on a number of things that would be really, really fun. And, and, and I think, um, you know, good material for further learning to go into deeper individually. 
and, and I hope we can do that in, in, in future conversations. Um, but is there, is there anything specific that you would like to leave in the minds of the listeners from this session? I think the most important thing is um, that people really uh, feel hopeful. Uh, and when I say that, you know, to be able to really look out into their world in this day and, and see what feeds them and to really pay attention to that, to slow down enough so that they can really acknowledge what is going to feed them um, and help them feel hopeful about the future and to reach out as well to other people that they really want to work with and, and to really listen to that voice inside them. Uh, if they're in a position where they maybe aren't feeling all that fulfilled and feeling, um, you know, a little bit frantic about the world and, and ask themselves, you know, what is it that I need to be doing? What, what shifts do I need to make in order to, um, feel more fulfilled in my world, to have that sense of inner peace, to have that feeling of connection. How can I speak to myself internally um, more positively? How can I be more gentle with myself and so that I can affect the world in that way? I think that's what I would like to leave people with today. And, and, and I would love to unpack a bit more of this with you at some point. Okay, we'll make a plan Thanks. of it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Melissa, for taking your time with us. And um, it, it's been lovely. I hope, I hope you listeners uh, didn't get too lost on our, our peregrinations here. <laughs> um, tried to keep the course somewhat steady, but it, 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 it's been a rich experience for me. So thanks again. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to Designers of Paradise. I'm your host, Eric Van Lennep. Join me next week as we bring you another eye-opening interview with the people who are revolutionizing the way we produce our food. Indeed, the people on the front lines of Designing Paradise. Designers of Paradise is produced by RASA, the Regenerative Agriculture Sector Accelerator. To learn more, go to www.rasa.ag. That's www.rasa.ag. If you have any ideas you'd like to suggest, such as folks we should be talking to or a specific topic we should cover, hit me up with your ideas on Twitter at Greenheart. That's G-R-E-E-N underscore H-E-A-R-T, Greenheart. We'll see you next week.